Welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast. I am your host, Denise Renee Green. In the last episode, you learned my STEER thought upgrade model to help you feel and act better and get better results. In this episode, I want to talk about relationships and how we can use the STEER model to improve them. Despite all the ways we can connect with people now electronically, we are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness. Now, back in 2006, a Purdue study showed that 25, 25% of Americans can't name one person they are close to. And my guess is if they did this study again, thanks to social media, that number would be even greater. Relationships are critical to our health and our well being. And this is not woo woo California stuff. This is backed by science and research. Before we had the brain science, Gallup did a huge study on employee engagement that remains the gold standard. They came up with 12 questions that would correctly assess whether an employee was engaged or not. And one of the questions was, do you have a best friend at work? We spend a lot of time at work. Without a close friend, someone you can speak with authentically and openly without fear of judgment or reprisal, it's a very lonely, stressful, distressing place. More recently, Google conducted a study about high-performing teams and found that the best teams had leaders who created an environment of psychological safety, where people felt they could speak their mind and be heard without negative consequences. People felt that the others genuinely cared for them, and they felt comfortable disagreeing with an idea while respecting the person with the idea. And they enjoyed being together. They had fun. Now, our ancient tribal brains are wired to make trusting connections with others. When we were roaming the savanna, we had to belong in order to survive. Ostracism equaled death. Today, we can survive without close relationships, but we cannot thrive. Now that we have the brain science, we know that words, unlike the sticks and stones lesson we were all taught, really can hurt us. Poor relationships literally damage our nervous system. Toxic relationships damage our vagus nerve, which manages the tug of war between the sympathetic nervous system, the fight-flight system, and our parasympathetic nervous system, the calm or freeze system. Toxic relationships also damage a part of our brain called the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex. This part of our brain is instrumental in cognition and motor control, so we literally become dumber and clumsier around toxic relationships. But what makes a relationship toxic or great? Why do we gravitate to some people and not others? And why do some people like us and others don't? It's because we all have usually unspoken rules we think others should live by. It's like having a code of conduct manual. And we weren't born with these rules. We created this manual over time. And it was shaped by our experiences and our thoughts. We repeated these thoughts so much they became beliefs and they have the potential to ruin our relationships. We believe that people must change to comply with our instruction manuals and others are doing the same thing with us, wishing we would change and comply with their unspoken or spoken rules. 
Sometimes we even delude ourselves into thinking that with enough convincing, we can change other people and they will happily adopt our rules. Neither of these is true. Other people are not obliged to change to us and we definitely cannot change other people. They might choose to change, but that's up to them. The only thing we can change is ourselves. We have choices. We can learn to drop the expectations and the resentment. Like maybe everybody doesn't have to pick up their socks to prove, my, prove their worthiness to me. Maybe it's okay if they put their dishes in the sink. We can change who we spend time with, focusing on people with similar rules of conduct as we have. If you want to have successful relationships, you might want to look at your manual and reduce it down to a few deal breakers and then attract people who are easy for you to love. Given how vital it is to stop trying to change people, I want to give you a tip about one word that signals you are trying to do the impossible. And that word, as some of you may have guessed, is should. He should really do more around the house. My kids should be more grateful. She should stop complaining. He should show up on time. Shoulds never change people. They just drive a wedge between us. And they make us feel resentment, which, as Nelson Mandela said, is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill your enemies. Resentment just damages you and your relationships. So let's talk about how and why to attract great people into your life. We know from social science research that we tend to rise or stoop to the norms of our closest peers. Some people have said you are the average of the five people around you. So if those people are high-performing, positive people, they propel us to behave the same way. If they smoke cigarettes, overeat, and complain about how life is unfair, they will likely be threatened and judgmental about your self-improvement attempts. So to attract people who will help you create a brilliant life, you have to first become such a person. A person who is kind, who doesn't complain or gossip, who gives benefit of the doubt, who offers support to others, who's wonderful and easy to be around, who communicates openly, honestly, lovingly with vulnerability, who trusts, who is grateful, and who loves unconditionally. Speaking of love, you can choose to love anyone. I love the story from Dr. Wayne Dyer, may he rest in peace, where he told about a man in one of his workshops who asked him, Dr. Dyer, I don't love my wife anymore. What should I do? And his response was, love her. So how do we find love again when it's been lost? First, it's helpful to acknowledge the existence of a phenomenon known as hedonistic adaptation, which simply means we get used to something and the glow wears off. It happens with new cars and new jobs, new shoes, and yes, it happens to people. Don't like the first wife? Trade her in for a second. Wait, the second one isn't what I thought she was. Better trade her in for the third. Now, you can change this pattern by intentionally thinking grateful, positive, loving thoughts about the person or the object, if it's your car or your handbag or whatever it is that um, you would like to appreciate again. We are naturally wired to compare, compete, and roam for the sake of replicating the DNA. But we can switch from that default thinking of scarcity and negativity to gratitude and love just by focusing on the positive attributes. So try it today with something you have forgotten to love. You could start with your car. How amazing is it that that car can take you from one place to another so efficiently? How many wonderful places has it taken you to? 
How many hours has it saved you? Or you can do this with your body. We beat up our body all the time, verbally and mentally. But what if you loved your body and appreciated how your heart beats without you even asking, how your lungs inhale and exhale without you even having to try or think about it, and all the different systems that are keeping you healthy, keeping you thinking, keeping you alive and loving. Now, you can love someone and still distance yourself from them. You can even love someone and leave them. If you have someone in your life who is hard to be around, but you don't want to leave, maybe it's a parent or a spouse or a child, you have to create strong boundaries. You don't have to completely remove people from your life. You can think of it as a dimmer switch, not an on-off switch. You may have to inform your mother that you can't join her every Sunday for dinner because you have your own family tradition. She may not like that, but she's probably not going to disown you, and if she does, that is her choice. If you have trouble declining requests without feeling guilty, I suggest you visit my programs page on my website, www.brilliancinc.com. Watch the videos about saying no with grace, not guilt. And if you're in the academy, um, you can watch the video there. Most of us don't like seeing other people hurting, and sometimes we delude ourselves into thinking that we can love someone out of their emotional hole. Love is very powerful, but it does not change people who do not want to change. Now, this doesn't mean you can't climb down into their hole of despair and love them, but I suggest you bring a ladder and climb back out into daylight quickly before you get sucked into the abyss too. Trying to love someone in the hope that your love will magically change them is like pouring water on a dead plant. You will be depleted and they will be the same. It's better to seek people who bear fruit and life already. We all go through tough times, but when despondency becomes a permanent mood, we have nothing we can give that will change them. So I have a couple of optional homework assignments for you that I think you're really going to love. And the first is just brainstorm a list of people who have positively touched your life. You can go back as far back as you want and then pick three of them and tell them as soon as you hang up from this podcast, tell them how much they meant to you. What difference did they make in your life? Another assignment that I highly suggest you do is go back and listen to the Steer podcast or just just listen now and I'll give you some instructions. First of all, I want you to think about a person in your life who challenges you. I want you to write all your shoulds about this person. What do you resent about them? What makes you mad? What judgment, judgments do you have? Get them out. Be petty. Now, write the STEER acronym down the left margin of a blank page. That's S for situation, T for thought, E for emotion, A for action or inaction, and R for result. Now, go back to that brainstorm download Pick the most painful thought you have about this person and write it on the thought line. Then go up and describe the situation factually with no adjectives, adverbs, or opinions. For example, my husband doesn't pick up his socks as much as I would like him to. Okay, that's a fact, perhaps. Versus my husband never picks up his socks and it's so disrespectful because I do so much and it's such a simple thing for him to do. Okay, that's not objective. Imagine then that you are witnessing this thing that bothers you or imagine yourself in conversation with this person about the issue and what emotions come up for you. Write them on the emotions line. Now, go to the actions line. What is it that you do or don't do when you think these thoughts and emotions about the situation? And what results does it produce? Now ask yourself, what payoff am I getting from these emotions and thoughts? And what is it costing me? Now you get to go and try and upgrade it. And I suggest you first go to the emotions line and ask yourself, what would I rather feel about this situation and person? Maybe I want to feel peace, ease, love, empathy, or forgiveness. 
Write one that feels accessible to you and write it in the emotions line. Then ask yourself, what would I need to think and believe in order to feel that way? Now you have the upgraded thought. I suggest you repeat this day in and day out, multiple times. Put post-it notes on, uh, put a rubber band around your wrist, whatever you need is a cue to repeat the new thought that you believe, but it needs to be stronger, and that gives you relief. The final request I have of you is to start to notice your personal instruction manual at work. Watch for the word should, and when you catch it, note the judgment. See if you can upgrade the thought and act from the upgrade. Start to notice the cost of your rules to your mental, emotional, and relationship health. These rules are not written in stone. You get to decide which you keep and which you toss for the sake of becoming your best self. Thank you so much for listening. Please come back next time for another episode of Work-Life Brilliance. When I talk again about relationships and thoughts and beliefs, but this time from the context of my experiences with online dating. Yes, people, I'm going to share my experiences about online dating. I have never talked about that publicly, so hopefully I won't chicken out between now and the next podcast, and I hope to see you then with light and love. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at iTunes.